All right, this is the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. As always, I'm here with uh, Matt Hawkins. I'm Ed Carbohol, and uh, returning once again is our guest, Dr. John Lucas, who I, I wanted to pick his brain because I saw him complaining on Twitter during UFC 236. Uh, how you doing, fellas? Doing well. Good, man. How are you? I'm all right. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, pissed that winter doesn't want to leave New Jersey, but other than that, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good to go. So, I mean, I, I don't know why that found its way on my feed on uh, during the fights on Saturday, but uh, that's kind of why I wanted to pick your brain just because uh, you seem to to do a couple of th- like a short little Twitter thread on uh, your issues ordering the very first pay per view through ESPN Plus. So, you want to you want to share your thoughts on it? Sure. Yeah. You know, I usually don't use Twitter to complain about stuff, but I was it was extremely frustrating how difficult it was to. Uh, get that pay-per-view paid for and you know given the problems they've had with illegal streaming in the past to make the only legal way to get it now nearly impossible to accomplish was a not a great idea so i I usually get the pay-per-views you know just through the cable provider like everybody else did and that was pretty straightforward and i knew that they were only um distributing the pay-per-views now through espn plus i bought the espn plus when uh, Matt and I were in Nashville so my wife could watch the Nashville card. And I knew that you had to get the um, pay-per-view from a computer. You couldn't do it from like a smart TV app or things like that. So I was actually Mm -hmm. on their website trying to order the pay-per-view directly through the ESPN plus website. And it looked like it would work. And then it just kind of hung up and then would get come up to the screen that everybody was seeing that said something about, you know, there's a service problem or something, please bear with us. And oh, wow. it, it just, it would not work. Um, for a, a company the size of ESPN that you know, was trying to, to build, build this app and to have this, this association with the UFC and be the exclusive content provider for the United States to have that big of a debacle on their opening night was, uh, was troublesome, not a good yeah. sign. And, you know, of course, initially I thought it was just <laughs> me. But then as soon as you looked on Twitter or looked on any of the forums, there was all sorts of people, including like Michael Bisbig, a couple of other fighters and MMA media that were complaining about the same thing. So I'm like, oh, it turns out I'm not the only idiot. There's actually (laughs) a problem here. And even the process of just logging on to the ESPN website as somebody who is already has an account wasn't straightforward because, you know, most websites you go to there's a place where you can log in and then there's a, you know, we're like up in the corner of the screen, it says log in. And then there's the front page that talks about the benefits of subscription and stuff for people that kind of stumble across it. But on the ESPN site, you actually have to click on the, or had to that night had to click on the banner about signing up for the website. And then in the sign up process, it would discover that you already had an account and would tell you that you could get the pay-per-view for fifty nine ninety nine or whatever it was. And then, that's when you got into that loop where it wouldn't do anything. So it took an entire hour. I missed all of the first two fights before I was finally able to log on. Oh, wow. And there was never any statement other than Dana White's statement about, yeah, you know, it didn't go well. We need to do better. But there was never any statement from ESPN Plus or the UFC about what the problem was, why they weren't answering their customer care or, or uh, service line phones. I had a chat, you know, there's, there's a place on the website where you can set up a chat with a customer service representative. Yeah. So I tried to do that and it just spun for about 10 or 15 minutes and I finally gave up. So that was not, not a good showing. <laughs> I can't wait to see what the pay-per-view numbers are because I suspect they're going to be awfully low given that people had to try as hard as they did to, to get logged on. I don't think we'll ever see the numbers. I think with ESPN, uh, they basically have total control of it. Um, I know guys like Dave Meltzer, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. The re- mainly comes from the wrestling, but he's kind of the the number one uh, pay per view number guy, and he's he's basically said that he won't be able to really pull the numbers mm. uh, because it's all digital now. So nobody really he can't go he can't go by you know I mean he can get his estimates based off of trending and stuff like that, but he he used to be able to I think have insiders on the on the cable companies and direct and satellite companies that would that would give it to him. And now we're, now we're funneling it through. ESPN yeah. And today, it's uh Tuesday. We usually don't we get those numbers by now, like, or they say something. So I guess they're like you said, they're just not going to release them. I guess they'll only release 
super positive information. I don't know. Yeah, yeah they're not. I think that's going to be the case. I'm glad I'm not a fighter who's looking for pay-per-view points. Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing that you say that because one of the things Dana White said in the post-fight presser about, uh, you know, like people people fighting for titles, they, they, they he said that's one of the things that they get is pay-per-views. And he said that uh, when talking about the interim titles and stuff like that um, at the post-fight presser. So I guess that's still a thing in uh, contract negotiations. I would I would just guess that ESPN's prepaid the UFC for for the entire two year run or however long contract this is. So they base I think they paid them based off the average of pay per view sales for the last you know couple years or whatever. So I would think that that could go into your negotiating where you're going to go, hey, I I headlined a pay per view you know this month of 2017 and made this much extra or, you know, stuff like that. I imagine there has to be some extra mm. fall uh, put in if the numbers are never made public or, uh, or released. But um, you said you missed the first couple fights when you order through ESPN three, does it give you, is that, is it in your library or was it a one-time view and it was gone? Were you able to go back and yeah. watch those? So fortunately I was, um, okay. I, I didn't look until Sunday morning. Cause you know, it was, you know, one o'clock in the morning here when the fights were over. So I just went to bed. But mm-hmm. uh, the next morning when I opened it up, the, the 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 fight in its entirety, or at least the main card in its entirety was in my library. So I was able to watch the first two fights in retrospect. Because that's, that's the other issue with the, um, the ESPN Plus version of the pay-per-view versus when you get from cable. You know, I'm often just like this weekend, I was coming back from a boxing event that I was working and it just so happened I got back in time to catch the pay-per-view. So that's why I was trying to buy it the night of. But normally I'm purchasing it ahead of time, setting my DVR to tape it, getting home and then trying to fast forward through just the fights to catch up to real time before the the main event hits. And with ESPN Plus, you can't do that. There's no rewind, fast forward. It's just live. So when it came on it an hour and five minutes in, just kind of picked up from there. And if you get up to go to the bathroom or something like that, you just miss what you miss when you're, when you're up. So it's, it's not the uh, exactly state of the art technology. Wow. So, so, I mean, uh, obviously we didn't, we didn't bring you on just, just to complain about ESPN plus. <laughs> uh, I mean, for, so from what you did get to watch, I mean, you just said you're working a boxing event and for folks that, that if they don't remember that are listening from the last time, um, John does, uh, uh, is involved in this sport. He uses his expertise in the medical field involved in the sport with, uh, we, we talked to you about regulation and stuff last time. So, I mean, I know, uh, I know you're not a judge or whatever, but, uh, what did you think about, uh, the judging that went on for that event? I, 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 I might be alone. I know the one fight stood out to folks. I wrote an article about it at MMAnews.com, but I mean, I don't know overall. Cause like, like obviously everyone's talking about the co-main and main event fights for, to me, they, they, I saw them as split decisions, not unanimous decisions. What do what do you guys think? So, you know, I I always tell people I never really see a fight as a split decision because mm-hmm. you know it can be close and I can see how it could be a split decision, but I never really predict it to be that. But I wouldn't have been surprised if it was. I think they got the results correct. I was a little surprised at the actual scorecards, but it is what it is. I don't think anybody got robbed per se in this event. Mm. When, know, uh, yeah, go ahead. I would say I don't. I didn't look to see who the judges were um, this time. I saw some scorecards, but didn't look at the names. Do you know who the three judges were? No, I didn't see the names either. I know we could find out, but I didn't. I didn't. I, don't, I should have looked for them, especially for the the Juban Grant fight. Yeah, when you, when you say split decision, Ed, I, I mean I kind of I think John's kind of on this. It confuses me a little bit because I and I don't mean to you know, come down on you or, or be confused. But I just don't, when you say split decision, you mean you think that it should have been two judges giving the, the fight to somebody and one judge to the other. I just, for me, it was like harder to call out to unanimous for one guy. So yeah, okay, know, okay. I, 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 yeah. I, get, I get that. I get that. But, um, so I, I, so I guess that would be where I would come in and where you thought it should be maybe a split decision or not thought it should be, but confused, surprised that it wasn't, I should say. Yeah. Um, so for like the Gastelum fight, now I, I watched mainly watched the the co-main and the main event from Ruth Chris Steakhouse for my sister's birthday. Um, <laughs> I've watched fights at her wedding, and I managed to get them on my phone for the, at the steakhouse. So I didn't have full 
full uh, concentration on it. But um, from what I saw for the Adesanya Gastelum fight, one, it was a great fight. Um, I do, I did catch that. Um, when I, uh, you know, watching it, again, I should watch it under a, a fine tooth comb. But uh, when I first watched it, when it, when I saw Adesanya basically manhandle him in the last round, yeah. Um, in my mind, it, I had it scored a draw. I had it. Uh, I had it three rounds to one going into the final round, and then I had Adesanya winning the last round, ten eight. Yeah. Um, that and, and I was rooting for Kelvin. I know we picked him, so it, it could be a little bit of bias in there. But I had him getting round one, round three, round four, and then yeah. I had Adesanya winning two and and five handily. Um, so I, I scored in a draw. Uh, when the when it was called, I was fine with the decision because I felt like the right guy won under Pride rules. You know, or the, if it's going to go to if it's going to go to somebody, then I felt like yeah. based off that last round, the right guy probably won the fight. Yeah. Um, if yeah. it wasn't going to be a draw. So I had no problem with that one. Um, I saw your articles on the Grant Joban fight. So I actually went back and found that fight online and uh, and watched it yesterday. And, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what your stance is. Is your stance that I, I, I thought it was a really close, boring fight? Um, mm. I didn't see a lot of action. Um, I, I'm a, I like both guys, so I really wasn't a bias going into it. I was more just curiosity based off of some of the articles and comments that I've seen. But I, I, I can't really complain with that fight. Um, the numbers show like 10 punches each landed around, which isn't a whole lot to, to separate. Mm. Um, you know, the I think... Uh, it's weird because when I watched it, I thought Joban won the second round. But when I looked on the play-by-play on like uh, MMA fighting or something, they actually gave the second round to Grant, and the numbers would have went to Joban. And, and so the the rounds were kind of mixed and mashed on how I, I I saw it while doing a little research. But I mean, I just thought it was a terrible fight to be honest. And if you're gonna throw, you know, if you're gonna land six punches in a round, I just don't see how you can complain about yeah. losing a, a 29-28 decision. Yeah, and I agree with that assessment. That those kind of fights where there's such little offensive action are mm-hmm. nearly impossible to judge, because if you you know if you discredit one one punch or you know blink at the wrong time, you've missed something. It's it's really hard to have something to go on with that. Both guys were kind of tentative, and that was that was hard. So I mean, but but isn't I mean I, I could I I actually. Maybe it's because I was I was watching it in a bar because I didn't want to go through what you went through trying to order or or signing up for stuff and and uh, I don't know if you guys saw the bar apparently uh, Directv is only working with the bars for pay per views or at least Buffalo Wild Wings I I took a screenshot of the of the screen waiting for the events to start and I put it on Twitter but um so um but I didn't see usually they put how the uh what types of rules they're using where based on where they're at. At the beginning of the event, and and since I was out with friends, I didn't, I wasn't paying attention like that. But um, isn't uh, aggression part of the scoring too, or do they not do that anymore? No, I think aggression is part of the scoring. But I, like I thought, the first round, I thought Grant was the one coming forward. I will agree that in the second and third, uh, Joban was the one that that was coming forward. But I um, let me see. I actually took a screenshot of the, so I got the strike tattles. So in the first round, Grant outstrikes him 14 to seven in the second round, uh, Joe Ban outstrikes him 10 to six. And in the third round, Joe Ban outstrikes him 11 to 10. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you have, you, yeah, I mean, and I thought, I thought it was clear Grant landed the bigger strikes. So to me, if you wobble a guy, but you land five less punches in a fight or you're a little less aggressive, it, it just to me it wasn't necessarily a robbery, but um, I could I could see it either way. But yeah. yeah, and you know the the criteria for judging are when I've heard him describe before. I think I can picture Big John saying this: they're tiered. So mm-hmm. effective striking and grappling is tier one. Oh, okay. Then if that's pretty much the same, then aggression plays a big role as the next tier, and then last is octagon control. But if you go in and you know if if Matt and I are fighting and. I land 47 punches, but Matt was running at me the whole time. It was looked to be more aggressive. I still win because I was landing the, the effective striking. Okay. Yeah. That makes more sense then in that case, I guess. Um, all right. I mean, um, I don't know, I guess because, uh, like I, I was watching with my training partners and when they announced that decision, uh, we were just kind of like, you know, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we kind of had the same reaction Joe Ben had. So, uh, yeah. 
That's why yeah, I, 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 I mean I was happy to see he did that interview right after with Akimoto. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was fired up about it, and he probably thought he won the fight, especially when you're coming forward. I can I can see that in his head. I can see I understand that as a competitor, uh, the frustration of 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 coming at somebody and having them essentially backstepping. But I just felt like you know, again, I don't think there was really any winner in the fight. If I had my way, it's a draw. I wish we had more draws in MMA because I don't think anybody deserved necessarily a double pay for that uh, for that fight per se. But um, I don't. The announcers basically were on board with it being a close fight. Uh, Cormier and uh, uh, Anik and I guess Rogan, all three of them basically were saying that during the whole fight that they were not sure how it was going to be scored. When Joban did get that last takedown in the last 10, 15 seconds of the third round, they all kind of felt like that might have been the, the decider. So I would have to say, based off their opinions, they don't show a scorecard like they kind of used to about, you know, right. the, the the color man. They kind of lean, lean toward Joban, but it was just a close fight. I didn't think it was anything uh, necessarily as a robbery, but uh, yeah. but I can understand Joban's frustration. If I remember correctly, as soon as the fight was over, I think it was Rogan was saying when Joe Ban was so upset, was saying you can't have a, you know, a fight with that few strikes thrown and be upset about a, a close decision. Mm. I think that's accurate. You know, I, I, I hate to see anybody lose a fight they shouldn't have, but I, I don't see that as an, as an example of a fight that definitely went the wrong way. Mm. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, see, I didn't even hear that because of where I was at, so... I mean, that, but uh, I don't know if you saw that interview Joe Ban did with Akimoto, John, but one of the things he recommended was like, uh, you know, as far as trying to nullify things like that from happening again, he talked about uh, like a half point system or possibly having five judges instead of three. Has any of that ever uh, come across the table in, in anything you're involved with? It, it has not um, at any at any of the high levels. I've never heard anything like that. You know, the the five judge thing, that's Joe Rogan's baby. He brings that up every once in a while on his podcast about five or seven or, you know, 21, some odd number of judges. But I'm not sure that increasing the number of judges is going to help. I, I still maintain that the the correct ways to make sure the judges that we have sitting ringside mm-hmm. know what they're watching and know what the actual criteria for judging are. So they're doing their job, you know, consistently and correctly. And unfortunately, in in many uh, athletic commissions, that is not the case. You've got people that are well known for making demonstrably bad decisions consistently and nothing's done about it. So until we get people that know what they're doing in those seats, it doesn't matter whether you've got three of them, five of them or 115. Mm. You're still going to wind up with decisions we're not happy about. Yeah, I mean, I I would. I'm not opposed to the five judged thing. I think that that might help um, in the long run, at least getting rid of some of the terrible over the top decisions. There's still going to be controversy, but I think that might eliminate the actually, you know, when you have one just totally corrupt judge who has no idea what he's watching, yeah. it obviously opens the door for that, you know, <laughs> or, or uh, one that's publicly said he's biased against certain fighters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, stuff <laughs> like that. You, you, you open it up for a little bit more uh, possibilities of, of correct decisions, but um but yeah, so, I don't know. I, I I almost feel like they should all all three judges should be sitting like in a skybox watching the fight well, on monitors. That's actually I was, I was gonna say that's that that's something they tried here in Jersey, um, in Atlantic City. They did that. I think they did that at uh, CFFC or something like that. Um, uh, is that what what do you think about that, John? I mean, is that something that you think would be more more along the lines of being fair because they're not being swayed by the crowd and stuff? Yeah, like, that's and the reasoning behind it. There's a couple of ACs that have recently, and it may have even been for a UFC fight, had the guy sitting ringside, but they had noise-canceling headphones on or available. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a great idea because it's definitely true, even if you're not trying to be biased. If you're sitting ringside, especially at some of the smaller local events I go to where there's, you know, the hometown guy and then some dude from Points Unknown that's in fighting, every time the hometown guy does anything that even looks remotely like it was an effective strike, the crowd goes wild like it was a near knockout. Meanwhile, the other guy can be slugging away and the crowd's mm-hmm. completely silent or booing. So it's hard not to let that affect your thinking. Yeah. Did yeah, you I mean, uh, I... did, did that ever catch wind with you guys in in the industry? I feel like that never went anywhere. What are you, what, what are you talking the, about? The, the judges being in a, in a locked room, you know, away from everything, watching on a monitor. Yeah, I've, I've never heard that discussed at, at higher levels. But like I said, I know there's been a couple of events where that's been the case. And I, I think one of them might have been a UFC 
I don't have a reference. I'd have to look that up online. But I read about that on a forum someplace, and I remember seeing a fight where the – and it may have been one of the – you know, it may have been a legacy or something like that, one of the smaller promotions. But I remember seeing the guy sitting ringside with the big earmuffs on while they were there. But I, I think that would have to be a decision that comes from the individual athletic commissions because, you know, we um, – we can't even get the unified rules to be unanimous around the country, much less huh. things like judging and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we obviously had the judging issues. Uh, again, the main event went to the scorecards too, but it was uh, really an all-time classic fight. And mm-hmm. I think one that everybody kind of saw coming. Um, I know the odds makers had Holloway winning. Uh, I know Ed and I both predicted uh, Poirier along with Cutman Matt uh, mm-hmm. last week. And, uh, Fight kind of went as I thought it would go. Um, I, I know in our uh, breakdowns, we both uh, thought Poirier would have the size and strength advantage, and that would kind of be what would be the decision maker. And uh, I think despite Holloway really turning it on the last three rounds, I think the damage that was done early in that fight is really what carried uh, Poirier uh, to the victory. Uh, any surprises in that fight for either one of you guys? No, I was just pleasantly surprised that that fight delivered what we were expecting. I mean, that that's that was definitely a fight for the ages. I, I'm so glad that I was able to watch that live. I mean, it was just it was fantastic, a great fight, and and um, I think it, it, it's important to point out what a great job Blake Grice, who as you know is a friend of mine that did his first ever uh, main event uh, refing, did a great job refing that fight. Interfered almost never during the entire fight. It was just, it was a great fight. Yeah, it really was. I mean, um, I think one of the points where, I mean, well, like, like Matt said, the, the the early, the cuts and the, and the damage he did early is obviously what, what uh, helped him later. But I mean, there was, I was so surprised at uh, Holloway's ability to come back and, and actually, uh, you know, make me, I'm not concerned. I don't, I don't know what the word was, but it was just so the back and forth. I was just, there's points where I thought Holloway was about to get the finish before uh, Poirier was able to fight, file fire back at him. And, um, but I, I do think this, his, uh, his mass did play a factor. Even when I feel like maybe he was taking a break because, you know, bigger, the guy with the bigger muscles, they need more, they need more oxygen to, to do uh, the level of output that he was doing. So uh, I feel like there was the, the, the times that he, he wasn't throwing any and, Holloway was able to land those combos that he landed. That's because he was just trying to uh, take a breather and Holloway was taking advantage. But I mean, that's what you want to see, man. I mean, it's so crazy that, that these, these fights were for interim titles because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like, I was joking around with Matt uh, leading up to the event. He put something on, on, um, on, uh, I think it was, it had to be Facebook that uh, it was like, Oh, these great interim title fights. And I was just like, yeah, interim titles. Woo. <laughs> But uh, I mean, I guess there's uh, the incentive to to know that you're going to be the guy to fight for unification about your your next fight. Uh, really turned it up for all all four competitors. Yeah, I mean, I just think that more important than the interim title uh, title of of the bout is that uh, you get five rounds. Um, I know every once in a while we get really terrible fights, and probably no one would have wanted to watch five rounds of Joe Ban Grant. But when you get guys at this level, I feel like I've always kind of felt like the sport needed five rounds um, to really uh, allow fights to develop um, and, and not just be rock'em, sock'em robots for, for 15 minutes, but allow a guy like Holloway, who's known for his cardio, uh, to be able to really retaliate. I mean, if it was a seven-round fight, I think Holloway wins that fight. Um, so <laughs> not. You know, I mean, and obviously you can yeah. go on and on, but it, it's one of those things where it's a whole nother aspect. And I just feel like when you get, um, I feel like we've been robbed uh, with three round fights in big fights more than we've sat through boring five rounders. So, you know, I don't know. I've always kind of thought that the whole main card should be five rounds and we should just kind of deal with it. And, uh, and, and, you know, and that was maybe when the cards were a little more stacked. Um, a card like this was really top heavy with two great fights and kind of three mid-level fights um obviously khalil roundtree uh had kind of a breakout performance against eric anders and really laid a whooping on him that uh, i didn't see coming but yeah. uh, <clears throat> that know, was other... the... go ahead i would say that was the fight that i was most surprised at i i thought for sure this was going to be the beginning of eric anders breakout um and yeah he just had nothing for khalil it was really that was that was hard to watch 
Yeah, I had him. I had him picked. Uh, actually, I had him picked to win too. So it was hard for me to watch as well. Um, uh, John, one question, just because uh, we were talking about um, that uh, the main event, as far as like Holloway with all the stuff that he's had happen in the past, and I think we might have talked about it last time we had you on too. Like as as uh, someone in the uh, as a medical professional, the way that he fights, I mean. Uh, when you obviously you love watching the fight, but afterward, uh, you know, with everything that's happened to him, the two times he got pulled off with cards, and then and then you see what happened this past weekend. When you think about his future, are you like, uh, are you concerned for him, uh, like hanging it up soon or anything like that? You know, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, do, being in those kind of wars like that that drag on for the whole five rounds, where you're both taken and given damage the entire mm-hmm. time, are definitely not good for you long term. Um, I don't know that he's got anything going on that's going to make him have to retire in the near future, but I worry as he has more and more fights like that, that uh, he's going to be one of the guys that is not quite the same when he retires as he was going into the sport. Yeah. I hope that I'm hope I'm wrong about that. And I hope that he's got guys around him that are, you know, trying to help keep him safe. But a lot of guys that fight like that spar like that too, you know, they're in stuff like that all the time. So hopefully his camp isn't doing stuff like that. And, the only time he's taken damage like that is during these actual fights. Well, he's kind of one of the, he's kind of this first generation of uh, fighters now in their prime that, that grew up with the sport, you know, that, that were uh, doing mixed martial arts when he was probably eight years old, you know, he was training in a mixed martial arts. So that that's where we're kind of different now, because back in the day you would, you'd see a guy like, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, Mark Coleman or something and you knew he was getting old but he had his first fight when he was like 34 years old or 33 years old so you kind of go okay even though he's 42 now he still has only had 20 fights um you know 25 fights Holloway's 24 fights into his career and he's only 27 years old Mm -hmm. so I think we might find out really the long-term effects of the sport when not necessarily Max but when guys like Max who start fighting professionally when they're 18, 19 years old, um, when they all of a sudden have 50, 60 fights and they're 36, do they walk away? You know, uh, when, when does the, when does your career kind of come to an end yeah. really in martial arts, as opposed to the Severns, the Couture's, the Coleman's, uh, you know, even Hoist Gracie, I think was 27, 26, 27 when he fought his first fight. Um, guys like that. So I'm kind of curious to see how that unfolds. I, I, I can't imagine we'll see guys like uh, Holloway uh, turning in careers like Coleman and, and Fry and these guys into their early to mid forties. I, I just don't see that happening. Yeah. And, and I, I hope not. Cause that's what I was going to say is that's, I think something that's very important for these guys is, you know, make your run at the title, but you need to have people around you that tell you, all right, we've tried this. It's not working. We've had a couple losses, you know, this, the sport has passed you by. It's time to get out before you take the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth fight that you shouldn't be in, and you're just taking damage for really no reason. So, so that that's kind of like I I brought it up because that's kind of like my the segue into uh, the whole bare knuckle boxing thing that seems to be. Um, rel- I, I guess it's still sort of trending. I read an article on Forbes today that was kind of weird to me, but uh, from your point of view uh, as a doctor involved in combat sports. Um, is this something dangerous? Because it seems like the guys that are coming into bare knuckle are the guys that that kind of went through their prime years in MMA. Most most of them, anyway. And I mean, obviously, we have Paulie Manaji, but um, does that scare you as as a doctor to see that happening? I mean, a, a little bit, but I think in general, bare knuckle boxing could be safer from a brain standpoint. You know, it's definitely not better from a cut standpoint, but getting cuts on your face is not a life-threatening problem where CTE is. Mm-hmm. The only concern I have about the bare knuckle boxing promotions is they're bare knuckle, but they're still letting the guys wrap their hands in their wrist. And so they're still punching like they weren't bare knuckled, even though they are And what makes bare knuckle safer is that if you, if your hand is at risk of fracture, because it's not casted up in wraps and tape and then with the glove stuffed on it, you're going to have to be a little bit more judicious about when you throw bombs. And as you've seen from the fights, they're exciting because those guys are just winging punches at each other with reckless abandon and they're not breaking their hands constantly because of the way they're wrapped. So if they, if they really want to do bare knuckle the way that it probably ought to be done, they need to ditch the wraps and you may see some more hand fractures, but I think you'll see guys be a little bit more judicious with their striking, which would be far safer from a CTE standpoint, but 
that's you know obviously that's not what the fans are looking for. Hmm. Is bare knuckle banned in um, in South Carolina? I don't believe it's outright banned, and I've heard rumors that they've been in discussion with a couple of the organizations about having an event. And I know that the commission is open to that idea, but it, I haven't heard those discussions going anywhere. And I haven't heard any any uh, anybody talking about a specific like date for an event or something like that. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them head in our direction. Obviously, there's a, a rumored King of the Cage event or a scheduled King of the Cage event coming up in a couple of weeks. And then you got the UFC Greenville card. Um, you uh, have you heard from the Greenville people? Are are you or not the Greenville people, but the UFC about that event? Are you uh, are you pretty much locked into work that show? Yeah, so I'm supposed to be the lead physician for the UFC card and have a couple guys um, that they have they uh, have worked a number of events with me before. And actually, you may have heard of them. They run a company called the Fight Doctors that helps some people with their weight cuts and a lot of performance things. And they're up in Spartanburg. It's uh, Ari um, and um, Ari Kramer and Chris Chittum, a neurosurgeon and a vascular surgeon, are going to help me out on that card. And then uh, another guy who I know that I've worked with before, it's a orthopedic surgeon in my hospital system is going to work with us. And hopefully Ari or Chris will bring a resident or somebody to do suturing and stuff in the back. So we've got a pretty good team that's experienced everybody and, and those guys both train as well. They're both blue belts in jujitsu and they co-own an MMA gym. So people that are in, you know, in, in involved with the sport and knowledgeable about it and have worked ringside before. So it should be a good event from a medical standpoint. I know uh, that you're Carl Reed, one of your, uh, one of your friends and, and people that you train with and trains with Steven Thompson. Uh, he signed again with the, uh, the Dana White uh, contender, yeah, series. contender series. Um, so I think he's fighting on June 1st. Um, is there anybody from your school that's a, that got, got a call for the UFC event or is, or are they going to wait and see if he gets a quick knockout and maybe try to turn him around? Yeah. So we're still waiting to hear anything about that. You know, the, um, the signing of Carl, everybody was excited that might be potentially related to this event, but that would be a really quick turnaround from the contender series. If, if he was to, to, to uh, be on the Greenville card and then, you know, Likewise, with Steven, he's still on nickel suspension from the fight with uh, Pettis out in uh, Nashville. So there's been talks about from the UFC about possibly having him on that card, but that has we haven't heard anything further about that yet. So as it stands now, you know, there's only four fights confirmed for the card and they're all um, undercard folks. We haven't heard any announcement <laughs> of, the, of the big main event kind of stuff as of yet. Yeah, I know Dana basically mentioned, I think, during their last press conference that that was the I mean, that's the only event right now that's scheduled that doesn't have a main event. So he's working on it. I I mean, I imagine whether it's right or wrong for for Steven's health. I'm sure he's sitting around waiting to, you know, in Dana White's world and the UFC's world there. They want to see a big thumbs up from them and and obviously have him on the card if possible. Um, In medically, Steven's fine now. You know, he hasn't been officially cleared because the suspension is a time thing. So he's got to go through that. But I mean, he's, he was back literally the Monday after back at the school teaching karate and he's on no contact. So we can't spar or uh, really train seriously now, but you know, he's doing what he can do. He's doing cardio. He posted an Instagram video the other day of him working over one of the grappling bags. So, I mean, he's right back at it, but it's a matter of whether the, the timing is right for him or not. Hey, uh, I got a question for you just as far as like regulatory and, and, states accepting like obviously if, if you're if you're one of the voices that that i mean obviously you know there's and there's documentation out there that that like mma went through it obviously for the last 20 years so and it, it looks like uh bare knuckle goes through it i mean but if you if, if they have guys like you that they use for for feedback and stuff how much weight does your your opinion like carry when you make recommendations i mean is, uh, it, is it about money or, or safety <laughs> I would suspect that my recommendations are not taken uh, with a lot of weight. You know, I'm not a member of the South Carolina Athletic Commission currently. There's a, a physician position on the commission. That's a rhyming mouthful, but it's not me. So that, who, you know, the, the person who sits in that position, if they actually go to meetings, would be the person who probably has the loudest mouthpiece of that. I know the chairman of the commission pretty well, and he and I talk on a fairly regular basis about stuff either when he has a question, I bring it up or when I see him at events and things like that. But as a, as a general rule, um, I don't really have a whole lot of, of voice as far as regulatory things. 
Yeah, because um, the thing you mentioned about about uh, how how it's safer because their hands aren't aren't wrapped up and they're not hitting as hard because they're trying to protect their own hands. That's one of the things that um, David Feldman mentioned to me when I interviewed him for be, prior to the last event when he was here in New York. So I'm just wondering, uh, you know, why it's because I, I I don't know if you heard him say that that June event's supposed to be in New England somewhere, um, and uh, I'm just wondering like why. I, I know New York is, is not going to accept it because of the blood and the cuts, but it's like you have every other combat sport. I just find it weird that, you know, the, all these weird combat sports, I mean, it's probably the oldest version of of, of, of a fight sport. Right. Um, and um, they just seem to, to find it worse for some reason. Yeah, I mean, you, you're dealing with the folks that still ban the 12 to 6 elbow. And, I mean, we, we actually talked about that at the, the last uh, last year's ABC commission. Um and um, everybody knows that the 12 to 6 elbow is no more dangerous than any other elbow or, or is it, there's no evidence that it's more dangerous than other elbows. It got banned based on when they were coming up with the original rules. Mm. One of the commissioners said, hey, I saw people breaking bricks like that, so we can't have folks doing that. And it's just it's just something that's just not going to not likely to change. Mm. There was a study going on for a while, I think, in Alabama a year or so ago. They were looking for fighters to come down there and throw elbows at different angles onto one of those force pads to show, you know, what the difference in force, depending on what direction you threw it in. But I never heard anything about that. So I'm assuming it fell apart because it's, it's been long enough. I would have expected that to be out had it shown something interesting. So it either was not interesting or it didn't show what they were hoping, or I think more likely it just never got off the ground. So, um, and the last thing I wanted to ask you was uh, just I know you had uh, done a couple of interviews already about the whole uh, Dillashaw thing with, with his uh, getting uh, suspended and stuff. Um, I know I, I don't want to, you know, make you blow hot air or whatever, but what was your initial reaction just to just to the to the what he tested for and how it was handled? So I would the, I think the most surprising thing about the whole situation for me was that they weren't testing for EPO pretty regularly. Because, I mean, you, just looking at the guys that you see fighting, there's a lot of people in professional MMA that look like they're carrying more muscle than their frame should be carrying mm-hmm. and also have unbelievable cardio. And those two things don't go together very well. You know, your heart's only so big. So if you're meant to be 155 pounds, but you, you know, get muscled up to be 170, 185 pounds and then cut down. Um, for your fight, you would expect cardio to be a major issue. And there's people, and you know, TJ being one of them, that just have seemingly endless gas tanks, which is pretty suspicious for either blood doping from, you know, the old-fashioned drawing your blood and giving it back to yourself or abusing EPO. So I was pretty surprised that they hadn't been testing more regularly for it. Um, I thought that the issue was that they had come up with a, a newer test that was able to to find the recombinant EPO more easily. And there's some articles that suggest that's the case, but then the USADA folks told Dana White that they have not historically tested everybody for EPO. So I think that for from a cost-saving standpoint, they were kind of watching people's biological passports and profiles and mm-hmm. looking for people who have hematocrits that are doing weird things and maybe focusing their tests on them. And that's probably what tipped up uh, or uh, tripped up TJ. He probably had some hematocrit jumps that didn't make a lot of sense that made him decide they needed to test and see if he was supplementing and they were able to prove that he did. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I honestly find it weird that he got so small, you know, he, he, he cut to one twenty five, and uh, that's the fight that they caught, they caught him for and And I thought he looked horrible for that. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's been some other people who have gotten caught, with steroids that didn't make a lot of sense you know like they had a terrible fight and then they popped positive afterwards for a steroid that anybody would know would show up on a urine test and when they've interviewed the fighter about it they've said i was having trouble in my camp i was in trouble i just needed something to you know to try to bridge that gap and it may have been the same thing for him he may have been having a bad time and been like man my cardio's not where it belongs i've got this big fight coming up i can't back out I need to do this. You know, I, I certainly don't know that he's done this in the past. There was a rumor that they had tested one of his prior fights and he turned positive. But I heard today that that's literally just a rumor. Hmm. USADA denied that, I believe, earlier today. They haven't found him positive at other events, as far as I know. Does EPO have any kind of real health benefit? I know some of the yeah. PEDs have legit health yeah. benefits. No. 
Yeah, EPO is designed for kidney failure patients. Um, when people have really bad kidney disease, because that's where erythropoietin or EPO is produced in your kidneys, they, they're oftentimes their biggest problem with their life is they have no energy because the hematocrit is so low. So it was designed in the 80s to help those folks out. And it was absolutely life-changing for a lot of people that have very, very severe kidney disease. And then people in other situations, like after having operations or things like that, uh, I've had patients that have uh, have avoided transfusions because they've been able to get EPO to get their own hematocrit up fast enough they don't need to get somebody else's blood. So yeah, it, it of all this of the performance enhancing drugs, it probably has the most significant actual medical use. But within, I mean, within a year of it being released, uh, the the cycling folks realized that being able to get the hematocrit up dramatically, very easily, and very quickly would give them a huge advantage. So it very quickly became abused and it's, it, it continues to be widely abused in endurance sports. But from, a, but from a healthy fighter's perspective, it really doesn't have any kind of usefulness. Like uh, it, it's not something that's going to help you recover from a, a, a ligament injury or, or something like that. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm asking, I'm asking this uh, because I, I, you know, I've been to one of those guys who's never been blinded to the fact that I feel like the sport, all sports, but especially combat sports have always been based around a, a, a little bit of a PED use uh, by its fighters. And I've always been under the camp that says it's hard to do something this strenuous on your body without having to possibly use some stuff to recoup and uh, get back, get back to be able to train and be able to fight again. Um, and, and I've thought that, uh, In my mind, I've always thought that there should be an option where the UFC gets a doctor or has a panel of doctors and they issue out a a certain level of stuff to the fighters. They say, okay, if, you know, if I go out and blow my knee, the doctor is going to give me some kind of prescription so I can get back to, to working at my job. Um, Would it be possible to have something like that where they go, you know, where you're kind of, where it's a strict regulation and they go, you're allowed to have this level. Um, and it's it's given by a, a specific doctor that's you know a panel of doctors of thirty doctors across the country who go okay if you if you need to take this um, to recover from a knee injury um, we can do levels of it without going over or is that just opening up too many uh, yes yeah, so Pandora's box one it, it's opening up Pandora's box and two uh, PED you know steroids in particular don't really have a specific medical use like that that's the risks of taking that is way out of proportion to the potential benefit for recovery and things like that. All you're, all you're losing by not using PED is time. So, you know, if you have a knee injury or something like that, that maybe taking a steroid could potentially help your healing a little bit, the, the, the same healing would take place just over a potentially little bit longer period of time. So you don't, you don't see orthopedic surgeons giving steroids to patients other than like people who are, elderly or things like that and, and can't get the muscle mass back on their own but there's there's really not any any significant medical use for uh, from a recovery standpoint or you know surgical recovery and stuff like that for those sort of drugs and epo in particular unless you're profoundly anemic it, epo is very dangerous mm. uh, there's been a, a large number of cyclists that have died from both myocardial infarctions and strokes because of the increased viscosity of their bloodstream at the higher hematocrit so you you for sure are not going to find physicians who would be uh, willing to, with their license on the line and publicly give athletes any dose of EPO to try to kind of stretch their hematocrit to be a little bit higher, that kind of stuff. So, so how do they get it then? Like, where do they get it from Mexico or something? Like they go, like... I don't, you'd have to ask TJ where he got it from. But, <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's tons of ways. It's just like all the opiates that people get, you know, most of them, are they start with a doctor's prescription and then that runs out and then they start buying it from their friend who gets it from a friend. So I would imagine that some people who are taking EPO are probably getting EPO that was intended for a renal patient uh, or, Mm -hmm. you know, could be stolen. It's not, it's not the hardest thing in the world to manufacture. So there's illicit sources for it, just like all the steroids. You know, there's not, as far as I know, there's not currently any anabolic steroid that's used clinically in the United States. So all the stuff that's produced is produced elsewhere and used specifically in illicit fashion for bodybuilders and, you know, fighters and other athletes and things like that. All right, cool. I mean, that's, that's just, uh, I mean, that definitely, uh, 
some background on it that I didn't know. I mean, I hadn't even heard those three letters before this happened. So, um, and I know, I know it's, it's, uh, one of the, and then I've come to find out that it's one of the things that, that was like the go, go to cheating drug for, for other sports in the past. So, um, Matt, I know you wanted to uh, look at the, the weekend card. Uh, I forgot what it was called or where it's happening, but, uh, Go ahead, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know you're not the uh, you're not the ESPN Plus guy. No, I, I'm not going to go through the whole card. It basically kind of I mean, there is a ton of uh, of Russian talent. It really looks like a, a one of those classic ACB cards that they used to have um, before the transition. But um, basically, the main event. It's funny we go from PEDs to Overeem versus Olianek <laughs> in uh, in Russia, which is uh, I know. Uh, I, I know firsthand that some of the uh, bodybuilders and stuff used to actually get some some stuff from Russia in the mail um, years ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, basically the Overeem uh, Alexei Olianek fight, uh, the headliner, uh, great heavyweight fight, uh, kind of a stylistic stylistic clash. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's a fight that I look forward to. One I'll definitely watch. Um, as far as picking a winner in that fight, my brain's telling me, uh, Overeem, uh, will be hard to take down and, and wear at Olianek, but, uh, I, so I'm going to go with Overeem. I, I, I want to go with Olianek. I'd like to see him get a submission win and I know he's older, but, uh, he would be a new blood challenger for, for some of these guys. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and he's such great, uh, submissions, uh, with some great wins in his career, but, I got to go over over him. I'm going to go with like a, a knee knockout uh, in the clinch, uh, maybe in the third round or so. Uh, when Olenek's a little tired from trying to take him to the ground. What do you think, John? You look yeah, at that so fight at all? I, my my brain tells me the same thing that Overeem's going to probably find a way to knock him out at some point. But I between his grappling and he just he seems like he's sneaky. He always has. He always kind of finds a way to get something done. I think Olenek has a good chance of at some point during one of those exchanges of grabbing onto him and dragging him to the ground and dragging him to the cage and setting up a submission that Overeem doesn't see coming. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with Olenek, even though my brain tells me otherwise. I'm still going uh, Olenek is. That's interesting. I mean, that's an interesting take on, on Olenek, uh, how he could possibly approach it. Um, I don't know their dimensions off the top of my head, but I feel like Overeem might be the guy that has the reach advantage. And uh, being uh, a striker, um, off the top before we start talking about, it, I I have I I'm still going to stick with the pick of Overeem only because if I remember from what I remember of Olenek, I think I don't think he handles uh getting hit very well. I mean, nobody does really, but you know, like like uh, I think he's a bleeder. And uh, with the reach advantage, and, and I know over Overeem still packs a lot of power, I, I feel like he might actually, if he lands uh, anything solid, I think he can drop him early, maybe even in the clinch like Matt said. But I, either way, I think any I – don't, I don't think Overeem will even try to clinch with him. I think he'll try to avoid all that and use his his, uh, his reach, you know, to, to take him out early. I'm actually looking at their numbers right now. In spite of uh, Overeem being 6'4 to 6'1 mm-hmm. over Olenek, they're both on Tapology website. Both are showing an 80-inch reach. So that's oh, kind wow. of interesting. Oh, so, um, I mean, I ran into Olenek. I actually met him at the uh, the last Fedor fight, and he uh, he was a big dude. You know, I, I, and says he's 6'1. I feel like he's, he might even be a little taller than that and uh, was a was – a, was a real heavyweight. So I don't know. Uh, like I said, I'm rooting for him. I know he's 41, so it's not really new blood. And he's had 70 or so fights uh, between the two of them. I think we're looking at about 120, 130 career fights. So it's kind of a kind of an old school. I mean, it's, they really did a good job of loading this card with, like I said, with Russians. Um, the most inexperienced guy is six and zero. Uh, when you get into Russian MMA, you have guys that have good. You know, there's a lot of good records. A lot because the guys are they're not necessarily dealing with the commissions we have here, so they're able to fight a lot more. Um, so I don't know. It's, it should be a exciting fight. I think it starts at 7 a.m. Uh, uh, my time. I think 10 a.m. Uh, your guys' time on the East Coast. So yeah, be interesting. Um, so we're getting close to signing off here. I want to uh, I want to say a couple things. Uh, one, I don't know all the information about Angela Magana. Um, she was supposed to fight. I know she's not a huge fan favorite, but uh, apparently she's dealing with some serious health issues today after having surgery. Um, I'm looking at updates and she still has not woken up from surgery. 
Um, they're actually putting some pre, uh, pre-op videos um, of her on her website that apparently she kind of wanted out. Um, and I haven't watched the videos, but it looks like it's kind of her talking about fear of surgery and stuff. So it's kind of a sad situation. Hopefully we get more updates on that. And, um, you know, considering I've met you guys through the forums um, last week on the MMA community.com. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Ed, uh, but uh, Frankie NYC, um, somebody would actually ask to come on our show. Uh, passed away oh my Um, god yeah it was uh i don't know the details i I don't part of the reason we were hesitant about having him on the show is because we were hesitant about having somebody on who wasn't willing to kind of say who they are we didn't know who he was and this was in the beginning of of him showing up on the forums but he turned out to be somebody who really knew his stuff and uh seemed to be fairly respected Uh, i know he was respected on mmacommunity.com and and uh some of the bigger financial guys in the industry um, but yeah, he went from talking to people on the forum at like 1 a.m. in the morning uh, to uh, by about 8 a.m. that morning. Apparently, there was reports of him passing away uh, in the hospital. So um, I guess rest in peace. Uh, you know, wish I would have got to know the guy a little bit more um, and, and and had a chance to speak with him um, other than our few private messages we had. But, uh, you know, like I said, coming considering I've met you guys and you guys are two good friends that I met from the forums. It's uh, it hits the home a little bit and it's. Uh, just shows how small the world is and, and how important life is when, uh, when you can go from talking to somebody and then hours later they're, they're gone. Uh, when you, with, without it being a tragic car accident or something and just happening in the hospital. So best to him and his family in this, uh, and obviously this tough times. Yeah. Uh, with that said, John, uh, do you want to throw out your Twitter handles? Any, any sponsors, your school, uh, <laughs> any other information? So I'll throw out her school. So I train at um, Pitch Black MMA or Upstate Karate here in Simpsonville, South Carolina. And we're actually in the process. They're going to start pouring concrete on our new school uh, this coming Tuesday. So in a couple of months, they'll be moving to a much bigger space on the other side of town with a little over 6,000 square feet of mat space. So we're all real excited about that. Um, my handle on Twitter and Instagram and all that is SCMMAMD, just like it is on uh, the MMA community. All right, uh, and fans can always follow us at Combat Hour on Twitter. Follow myself at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter and at Carbeerzal on Instagram. Um, oh, it is Risen Fight Week, too. Uh, oh, yeah, right? Through the crack, Horiguchi fighting. The 21st, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that, that's uh, so the UFC Saturday morning, late Saturday night, uh, early Sunday morning, depending on your time zone, on Fight TV is, is – uh, uh, risen 25 uh don't miss that if you get a chance and uh we'll see all that action i look forward to talking to you again next weekend and uh, i'll keep in touch john i know uh we're getting together for ufc in uh july so yep. uh i'll keep you oh, updated cool. on thanks. that ticket information thanks for your time john i appreciate it anytime man thanks for having me